Hello, folks, and welcome back to the On Being Christian podcast. My name is Nolan Ruby, and this is podcast number 16. The On Being Christian podcast is a ministry of the Wasatch Front Baptist Church here in Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm your host. I'm also the pastor of that church, and we're so glad that you chose to be with us. A couple things I'd like to run past you today, um, and just like usual, we'll get right to it. And so podcast number 16, title of which is What Seemeth Him Good? What Seemeth Him Good? Now, there's a lot of things in our culture that we would define as good. There's a lot of things in our culture and in our own lives that we would define as bad. In fact, we make a lot of life decisions based off of sometimes the subjective opinion of our own selves of what is good and what is bad. But there's some things that I'd like to show you from the Bible today concerning the things the Lord allows to take place in our life. Sometimes the Lord will allow things to take place in our life that we might in our flesh or in the temporary define as bad, which he, from his perfect place of existence from eternity, would most definitely define as good. And the outlook that we have towards that would help us, I believe, very greatly if we understood that just because we're going through something we don't like doesn't mean we're going through something that's not needful. And so if you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along with me, I'm going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, I'm way off here. 1 Samuel, I was over here looking at something different, and so now i got to get over there. 1 Samuel chapter 3, and uh, I'll start in verse 16, and I'll read down through verse 18. Some of this is going to sound familiar if you're familiar with the Bible at all, uh, the story of Eli and Samuel and the things that lead up to that. And there's some things that we understand. We read the big stories. We read kind of the the umbrella concepts, if you will. But sometimes there's little phrases and statements in the Bible that escape us. And I think this is one of those. If we start in 1 Samuel chapter 3, pick it up in verse 16. The Bible says, Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee, and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every wit, and he hid nothing from him. And he said, this is what Eli said, It is the Lord, let him do what seemeth him good. It is the Lord was Eli's response. Let him do what seemeth him good. Now, for time's sake, I want to just tell you at this point in the story, uh, Eli was teaching Samuel how to listen to God talk to him. In fact, when Samuel first started hearing God talk to him, he thought it was Eli calling him, and he would run to Eli and tell him, okay, I'm here. What do you want? And Eli said, I didn't call you, and he'd send him away. And this happened three different times before Eli gathered that it was the Lord trying to talk to Samuel. And this is in the Old Testament, so this was a prophet hearing from God. And so when God talked to Samuel, he said quite a few things, laid out a couple things that were going to take place, and Eli is saying, listen, um, I want to know everything the Lord told you. And Samuel told him, and the response of Eli to what Samuel had to say concerning what God told him, which, folks, wasn't all that great, 
The response of Eli was, it is the Lord, let him do what seemeth him good. And and that's going to be, that's the, not only the, the title for this podcast, but it's also kind of the concept that I'd like us to walk away with. If we can go through life from the pr- perspective, excuse me, of understanding that our ultimate desire would be that the Lord do what seems good to him and not what seems good to us, I think you and I might be pleasantly surprised about how much of what we see and how much of what we think changes for the glory of God and not for our own purposes. And so if we get into this, let's let's look at the first point. The first point is the Lord will do what seemeth him good. The Lord will do what seemeth him good. And let's define some terms here as we go through this. The word seemeth is a word that means from the outward appearances. The idea being that it can be led to, or excuse me, the idea being that it can lead to being pleased or displeased. And so Eli was very much telling Samuel, the Lord's going to do what seems what seemeth good to him. And that could be pleasing to me, or it might be not pleasing to me. But as long as it's from the Lord, then that's all that I want which was an incredibly mature response to hearing what Samuel told Eli God had told him. Okay. So it's a, it it can be, it's a, it can be a pleased response or it can be a displeased response. If we stay, or if we jump over to first Samuel chapter 16 and verse seven, you'll find this phrase. It says, the Lord looketh on the heart. It goes on to say, a man of God told Eli what would happen. Excuse me, that's not what the Bible says. That's what I'm saying. A man of God told Eli what would happen. And you see this all the way back over 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30. The Bible says, Wherefore the Lord of God, wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me. For them that honor me I will honor, and them that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And so you have this kind of course of action that Eli had allowed to be put in place, reaping benefits or reaping results. And some of the results of Eli's life and the things that Eli had allowed to be put into place aren't going to be good results, as he would define them. Yet he had enough maturity and enough Uh, connection and desire for God to be honored, that his response to being told some pretty tough things was, it is the Lord, let him do what seemeth him good. And we find in 1 Samuel chapter chapter 16, verse 7, the Bible says, the Lord looketh on the heart. And so sometimes when we are looking on the outward things and we're defining what's good and what's not good by the outward effects— The Bible says that God is defining what is good and what is not good by looking at the effect that it's having on the inner man, on your heart. Now, Christianity has become something, unfortunately, heavily defined by the concept of men. We would define good within the confines of Christianity as anything that would benefit us directly. And there's a whole lot about the Bible, or there's a whole lot in the Bible that talks about the fact that being a Christian is not always, in fact, very rarely, about being personally benefited, but rather 
by the things that we choose to do, the way we choose to live our lives, benefiting God and benefiting others way above benefits to ourself. Okay, if we go on, there's a concept. Um, let me just get to where I need to be. First Samuel chapter 3, 11 through 12 says this, And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I began, I will also make an end. And so God told Samuel, I'm getting ready to do a thing, and I'm not going to stop until it's done. And this is what Eli told Samuel he wanted to know. The Lord tells Samuel what's going to happen. And then you find in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 11, the Bible says, and the ark of the God was excuse me and the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phineas, were slain. And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside, watching for his heart, trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this tumult? And the man came in hastily to Eli. Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto him, Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. If you jump down to verse 22, the Bible says, and he and she and she said the glory is departed from Israel for the ark of God is taken and so everything that God told Samuel he would do Samuel told Eli God just told me this and every single thing that was said by God to Samuel and then subsequently from Samuel to Eli it happened and when back it up a little bit now when Eli first heard that all of these things were going to happen his simple response was, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Now that we know what was being told to Eli concerning the things that were going to happen, how could you possibly define the loss of the ark of God and the death of your sons as anything other than bad, tragic, horrible? But Eli's connection to the Lord was of such that he said, Whatever, whatever the, seems good to the Lord, that's what Eli wanted, even though it meant bad things for him. And I think sometimes if we apply this to our lives, most of, as Christians, most of our prayer life revolves around what we would define as good. We treat the Lord in many instances like a genie who's supposed to Give us things that we define as good for our benefit, for the betterment of our life. And we find here that sometimes being a Christian means being connected and mature enough to God to understand that things that he defines are good 
are are worth much more than things that we would define as good. Even if he's doing things which would or may be subjectively described as negative towards our benefit or towards ourself. As a Christian, as someone who loves the Lord, it's the things that the Lord seems to do, the things that the Lord seems to be good, that's what I should want. We see this in Acts chapter 5 and verse 39. It says, if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it. The same thing you'll find in Genesis chapter 24 and verse 50. It says, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Now, in that specific instance, it's very interesting. Someone had the had the maturity to say, listen, if it proceeds from the Lord, it doesn't matter what I think about it. It, it doesn't matter whether I think it's good. It doesn't matter whether I think it's bad. It's from the Lord. I have no right or responsibility to give my opinion as to the things that the Lord is doing. That word proceedeth that you see there in Genesis chapter 24 and verse 50, that word means directly from. It means an it to issue out or to lay forth. And so when, the, when something comes directly from the Lord, when the Lord lays something directly out, this is what I'm doing. The Bible says that men who had a high level of maturity, men who had a desire to be connected to their Savior, to God, to the God of heaven, their response to those things was, well, if it's from the Lord, it matters not at all what I personally think about it. If it's from the Lord, it's good. It, it, if it seems good to him, then that's what I want. Even if it seems detrimental to me, if it's from the Lord... Then that's it, there's I can't, I have no place to say well that's not good, or that that is good. Uh, in fact, you see in Job chapter forty one through five, there's a phrase in which uh, Job is talking to the Lord, and when the Lord questions Job, Job gets embarrassed and he says, "I will proceed no further." And so you understand if I could rephrase it this way, when something proceeds from the Lord, then we, our proceedings, are to stop. Now, the Word of God is proceeded from the mind of God. Without getting too far into bibliology or original manuscript evidences, um, there is a lot to say about the authority of the Bible. And when something is laid out doctrinally in the Bible, when it proceeds from the the, the mind and mouth of God, then my proceedings that don't agree with the proceedings of the Lord— my proceedings are to stop, and his are to continue. The only way for me to do that is for me to understand that when it comes from the Lord, my opinion about what, his, what he's doing is irrelevant. It, it's, not, it's not a part of understanding what he's doing. If it comes from the Lord, if he's doing, if the Lord is doing what seemeth him good, that should be all that we want. So when he proceeds, we stop. When he goes to work, it's what he's doing that we should want to be done. So the first point is the Lord will do what seemeth him good. The second point is what seemeth good to God is, in fact, good. And you see this all throughout the account of creation. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31 says, after the Lord looked on everything that he created, he just said simply, it is very good. And so when the Lord does something, it is good. Now, the Bible says in reference to man 
there is none good, no, not one, which means there's nothing that we can produce good. In order to produce good, I have to be good. And there's none good but one, that is God. And when God made the world, he said, it is very good. And so what seemeth good to God is good. You find the same thing in Ecclesiastes 11 verse, uh, excuse me, 11, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, you'll see this phrase, the Bible says, he hath made everything beautiful. Talking about the handiwork of God. He hath made everything beautiful. That word beautiful there means comely or goodly. It's well and pleasant. It's well and pleasant. In other words, in order for us to understand the the value of life, I first must understand who the creator of life is. If I understand who the creator of life is, that being God, and that God has never made a mistake, then regardless of how I feel about who I am or what I am or what I want, if who I am and what I am subject subjectively as defined by me, or what I want defined by me, goes against God or goes against the Word of God, then God didn't make a mistake. I did. God's not wrong. I'm wrong. And so what seemeth him good, folks, it is good. When my life runs up against the doctrine of the Word of God, and I do away with what the Bible says— and replace it with what I say. I'm doing away with the good, and I'm replacing it with the bad, with the expectation that it works out better for me. That doesn't make any sense. But that's exactly where we are today as a society. We've done away with what the Bible says is good. We've done away with what God said is beautiful. We've rejected his commandments. We've rejected the image of him in us for whatever image we subjectively feel like we might most reflect that day. We've done away with that, and we've replaced it with falsehood, with, 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 with uh, untruth. And while we're doing it, we have the gall to think that what we're doing is going to be better, more beautiful, more worthy than what God did. And that's simply... It's simply not the case. You find the same thing in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 17. Uh, it says, man think to know it, yet shall he not. In other words, there's things that men would think would turn out better for them. There's things that man would put in place that they would think would cause a better reality, a better result of living, a more sub, uh, acceptable outcome. But what seems good to man is not good. And what seems good to God is good. So when I do away with objective goodness as defined by truth, and I replace it with subjective goodness, then the best that that can be defined as is in actuality falsehood. I'm replacing truth with falsehood. And when I get rid of truth and replace falsehood in its place, the only possible result of falsehood is destruction and lies, and in general, things that aren't good. So when I do away with God, for me, I'm doing away with the good for the bad. And then I act surprised when I replaced good with bad and got bad results. And so what seemeth him good, folks, it is good. 
from his creation to you. Did you know that? Apart from the curse of sin on this world, you are exactly what God made you. You have a purpose. You have a, 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 a calling that God would like to see fulfilled in your life. If we're claiming to be Christians and at the same time living in an unchristian way, then what makes us Christian? If we're claiming to live according to the doctrine of the Bible, according to that which seemeth good to God, but all our decisions are reflecting nothing more than what seems good to us, then why are we claiming to be Christian? We're exactly the same as everybody else. We might just do it in a different place. I go to church on Sunday. That doesn't guarantee that I'm a Christian. If I go to a church that tells me it's okay to do what I want, to live how I want, and that everything that men, any man has ever wanted or desired is totally acceptable, that's not a Christian church. You say, well, that seems kind of harsh. You're just claiming what is and what's not Christian. No, I'm telling you what the Bible says is and is not Christian. And what the Bible says is that God, what seemeth good to God, is good. And if I want anything else out of life except for what God wants, then why am I a Christian? If I'm living my life in any other way except for the way in which God demands that I live my life, then why am I Christian? Christianity is not about what you say you are. It's about what others observe according to the dictates and actions of your life. And so number one, the Lord, the Lord will do what seemeth him good. Number two, what seemeth good to the Lord is, in fact, good. And number three, what seemeth good to man is death. You say, well, not in every case. Let me show you a couple of verses. Proverbs chapter 14. There's two verses in the Bible that are just about identical, save for one word, I, I believe, that, that's changed between them. The first one is in Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. The Bible says here, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And if you jump over to Proverbs 16, and verse 25, the Bible says virtually the same thing. It says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so there is a way, according to your mind, that you would look at a situation and you would say, This is the best way. This is the best decision that I could make. And according to the Bible, that would be the exact opposite of a good decision. That would be a bad decision. We live in this world that's been raised on Disney movies and princesses telling everybody to follow their heart. And according to the Bible, that is the dumbest advice you could give a young person or a grown person or an old person or whatever person. Because what seemeth good to a man, the result of that, that, that seems good to me, the result of those, those ideas, those ideologies, the Bible says, not me, not a pastor, not a religion, the Bible says that the end of those things is death. You see the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 18 
through 20, we see this. The Bible says, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Interesting. The thoughts of the wise are vain. Verse 18 says, Let no man deceive you. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. Now, this is easily, sometimes when the Bible says things like that, let no man deceive you. Your immediate response is, well, no man's going to deceive me. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm, I'm not for sale, blah, 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 blah. When the first person that usually deceives us is ourself. The first person that usually tells us what we want to hear is, in fact, ourself. That makes the man in the mirror the most dangerous man that you have to contend with. Because he's going to tell the he's going to tell you that you're doing a good thing. He's going to tell you that your way is the best way. That ego is going to rise up and tell you that you've got it figured out and that everything would be fine if everybody just did what you told them to do. If everybody just did it your way, everything would be fine, folks. Not to get too political again, but this is exactly where our country is. This is liberalism. A group of elite people who have decided they know better than you how you should live. They know better than you what is required for you to be happy. If you would only just be quiet and do what they tell you to do, everything would be okay. Except in the heart of man, there's this unquenchable thirst for freedom and liberty, which means I'm never going to be happy when someone else is pulling all the strings of my life. You understand the ultimate freedom and the ultimate liberty is found within goodness. One of our past presidents, Samuel Adams, said the government of the United States is wholly inadequate for anything other than a just and moral people. And I think that Samuel Adams, if I quoted that Miss wrong, forgive me, it is one of the Adams. And so we find that in our society today. We're, we're having trouble because... We are no longer moral and just. We're doing things that we define as good, which morality and truth and justice define as bad. We're doing away with objective goodness and replacing it with subjective lust and defining that as good, defining that as truth, and the result is an absolute anarchy type of society. Where, where the end, as the Bible says, the end thereof are the ways of death. And so verse 19, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, it says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Let me ask you this. Have you ever considered that God has never had to consider anything? Has it ever dawned on you that nothing has ever dawned on God? He's not had to add all the pieces together. He's not had to go and figure out what to do. He knows what to do. He knows what the ultimate outcome of truth is. And that's his desire, is to give us a life 
of complete freedom, which he gave us in his son, Jesus Christ, complete liberty. And that's only possible through the denial of falsehood, which is us. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. The denial of falsehood and the acceptance of truth, which is him, Jesus Christ. And so, verse 19, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. You know what that means? The taketh the wise in their own craftiness. Have you ever seen that old picture of the snake eating its own tail? At some level, on a long enough timeline, all of the wisdom of this world will turn on itself. All of the rules that we put in place and the societies that we put in place based off of the subjective truths that we have tried to make real will turn. Because liberalism is not um, a concept that has a goal. The only goal of liberalism or anarchy or whatever you want to call it is whatever agenda conservatism has, whatever agenda truth has, stand against that. That's why it can never be satisfied, because it's a, it's a, it's a platform of grievance. If they don't have something to grieve, if they don't have something to whine about, then the platform dies. And this is evident in just the self uh, kind of understood truth about lies versus truth. The only way for lies to exist is on the tongue of a liar. As soon as a lie stops being told, there is no life in it, and it dies. Truth is objectively self-existent, which is the term that the Bible uses as a name for Jesus Christ, Jehovah, the self-existent one. Truth exists whether it's written down, whether it's recorded or not. Just because we refuse to acknowledge something or we or, or we, we acknowledge something, it doesn't make the truth more truthful. You can't change what is. You can't change what happened. You can change how you record it. If you saw it from a different perspective than somebody else, it might lead you to think that you understand it better. But in reality, the truth is just the truth. And God is truth. And what God does is good, whether it seems that way to you or not, because what seems good to you, the Bible says, is death. All right? If we go back to Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 5, and I think if I'm right, it's the first five verses of Proverbs chapter 5, and I'm, I keep going past it here. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 5, the first four verses the Bible says, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil, but her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold on hell." So you see this picture here. There are things that, oh, boy, you could convince yourself that this is exactly what you want. There's nothing more than this. There's nothing better than this. This is what you want. If you get in my way, I'm going to run right through you to get it. The Bible says sometimes the end of those things is steps that are taken hold of by hell herself. Folks, there are things that seem good to us. The end is not good. And there are things that we would define as not good 
concerning what God does. But the Bible says it is good. The things that he does, they're good, whether they seem good to us or not. It's not for us to decide whether they're good or bad. It just is for us to accept that they are good. You see this same concept here. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 12. I'm so thankful that we have a Bible so that we're not making this up as we go. The Bible says, But when ye sin so against the brethren and, and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. This is an interesting verse. If you jump back to verse 2, it says, And if any man think that he knoweth anything... He knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. I think I might have told you this before, but my grandfather used to tell my dad, and my dad used to tell me, son, if you knew that you knew nothing, you'd know something. But you don't even know that you know nothing, which makes what you know worth less than nothing. And I remember being a kid trying to, you know, put that phrase together in my head. But that's from the Bible. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing and yet as he ought to know. And so what is it that you think you've got figured out? Because that thing that you think you've got figured out, according to the Bible, that's the very thing that you don't know anything about. And when it comes to being a Christian, as soon as you got this thing licked, as soon as you think that you got this thing totally figured, that you, you've arrived, you're the, you're the picture-perfect Christian, that's the moment you don't have anything figured out. There's actually... Uh, truth to what the Bible says concerning you're, you're on the wrong path. You're doing the exact opposite. You're not growing. You're shrinking. You're not getting closer to God. You're getting further away. If you stay in 1 Corinthians, just go back to chapter 1. 18 through 21 gives us this. The Bible says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but, to un- but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the excuse me, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. And then it goes on. And so we we see this very clear picture. Verse 20 says, where is the wise? Where are they? Verse 21, uh, for after the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. And so by, by all of our wisdom, if you were to take everything that we have figured out and you put it all into one place, all of our smartest people, all of our most epic works of, of uh, research and all, everything, put it all into one place. And the Bible says that God says there's nothing there, not, not with respect to understanding who God is. There's nothing coming from the natural man that can point towards the sanctity and divinity and power of God. In order to understand God, I must have a relationship with God. 
In order to have a relationship with God, I must accept the son that he gave me to take away the sin of the world. I must accept his substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection and his payment for sin. Without that, I'm no more Christian than the man on the moon. Without the author of Christianity, how am I supposed to live a life that has nothing to do with me? Even though God defines things... Um, as good, the Christ, or the, excuse me, the carnal man is going to look at those things and say, "Well, that's not benefiting me in the in the instant that I want it to be to be beneficial." So I'm going to do away with it. I don't need it. Well, as the Bible has said, according to the verses that we've looked at, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so if we go back and we just briefly look at these three points, point number one, the Lord will do what seemeth him good. And that was a direct quote from Eli. Even though, physically speaking, everything that coming wouldn't and couldn't be defined as good, but Eli knew, no, this is from God. And so let him do what seemeth him good. We saw all the verses that say, if it comes from God, what have I? What, what kind of opinion should I have of it? I can't say that it's good or bad. It's the Lord. It's Him. It is what's going to happen. And so, number one, the Lord will do what seemeth Him good. Number two, what seemeth good to the Lord is good. That's something that I need to accept. I don't weigh whether or not the things the Lord does are good. It's good. Now, you know what happens here. We start to come up with excuses and examples. And so you're going to say things like, well, are you telling me, and you have this example of whatever trauma you went through, and you're going to say, you telling me the Lord did that, and that's good? No. No, I'm saying the Lord, in his sovereignty, gave humanity the right to choose. He gave humanity what the Bible refers to as the mystery of free will. And he wants us to love him as he loved us. And so there are kinds, there are all kinds of heartaches and traumas and disasters and violences that take place in this world that aren't the Lord's will. But he allows man to be man for a time. Because when it's over, he will, as the Bible says, judge the quick, which is a word for alive, and the dead. And we will answer to the Creator for what we did with what He told us to do. So if we look at a takeaway from this, if you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, what would be an appropriate takeaway from this, from this podcast, from this idea that God will do what seemeth Him good? 1 Samuel chapter 1. We see this in verse 20 through verse 23. The Bible says, Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son because, uh, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. And, and the man, Hilkiah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord 
and there abide forever. And Helkina, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good. Tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she was weaned, and it goes on. I want you to notice Samuel's father said to his mother, You do what seemeth you good, but you need to understand this. The Lord will judge it. So you have free will. You do what seems you good, but be ready to answer to the Lord for this thing that you have done. You see the same thing in 2 Samuel chapter 10, 19 through 14. You'll see the phrase in verse 12. It says, be of good cheer. It goes on to say, and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. The courage which is good has nothing to do with your ability, but it has everything to do with trusting in God's ability. You see this in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 1 through 2. Verse 1 says, be more ready to hear. Verse 2 says, be not rash with thy mouth. Hebrews 12.11 says, no chastening, and then it says this, seemeth joyous. But then look what happens afterward. It says, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So there are things in my life that don't seem good. There are things that you're going to go through in life, folks, that you wouldn't define as good. But afterward, after the Lord allows you to go through, go through things that he defines as good, you have what the Bible refers to as the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Remember, what seems good to you can only be based on a very limited aspect of understanding, or more appropriately, the lack thereof. What is objectively true because of God can only be accepted, not understood. God will do what seemeth him good. Where we are with God determines whether that is good or bad for us. And so God will do what seems him good. So the question for you is, is what God does good in your life? Or are you still trying to define how you want being a Christian to be? Say, Lord, I'll be a Christian if I can do this. And and that's often what we do. We negotiate with God. We do the whole give and take and push and pull. Lord, I want this. I'll give you this if I can have this. Let's reason together, Lord. Let's figure out something that works for the both of us. And that's not, how, that's not what being a Christian looks like. I'm either living according to what the Bible says, or I'm not. You understand how simple that is. I'm going to say it again. I'm either living according to what the Bible says, or I'm not. Where I live, there's a very catchy phrase, the Bible is only as good as it is properly interpreted. And then they introduce this other book that interprets it. That's not being a Christian. That's, that's being cultic. So what does it mean to be a Christian? It means I do what the Bible says. Well, that doesn't seem like it's a good idea. Well, the world is full of men who did what they thought was good. And the history books are full of examples of people who did what they thought was good, which we now understand that wasn't good. And the annals of Christian history are full of people who gave up everything for the cause of Christ, their very lives. The Bible says that the Lord defined it as good. He used the death of people 
who the Bible defines as martyrs, to lead other people to the cause of Christ. And though in the physical sense that wouldn't be defined as good, in the long-term sense, if your, if, if, if your life or your sacrifices, whether it had to do with your life or not, if your sacrifices, which cost you something, which didn't feel good, which you wouldn't define as good, led to someone else accepting Christ, led to someone else being forgiven of their sins and having an eternal relationship with God in heaven, if that was the result of your sacrifice, then do you think God would define what you lost as good? I believe he would. And so what seemeth him good? The Lord will do what seemeth him good. What seemeth him good is good, and what seemeth good to man is death. The takeaway is, folks, you do what you feel you need to, but I want you to understand that for every decision you make, God will judge. For everything that you do, there will be a day that you will answer for it. Not to me, not to you, not to religion, but to God. Father, thank you so much for the time you've given us, and as we dismiss and go our own ways and fulfill the rest of our responsibilities through the day, I pray that you'd help these things to stick with us. And if there needs to be a change, Father, we leave that in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, thank you for being with us. If you have any questions or you'd like to get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me directly at wasatchfrontbaptistchurch.com. That's W-A-S-A-T-C-H, Front Baptistchurch.com. There's a little icon in there in the drop-down menu that is entitled Contact Us, and you can get a hold of me right there. There's also an icon in there that is entitled On Being Christian, where if you would so like, there are 15 other issues of this program, including one interview with a uh, a business owner who's involved in the trades, and we interviewed him about what are the greatest privileges and the greatest um, consequences or, or challenges of, of owning a business from the perspective of being a Christian. And we do have a couple interviews coming up. One will be with a guy that I served with, who is now a lawyer out in Virginia. And I'll introduce you to him when it comes time to interview him, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Otherwise, I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope that it was helpful. The purpose of this podcast isn't to fill airtime, but to move the needle. And so with that, I'll talk to you next time. God bless.